Today is the traditional 12th day of Christmas. In the year 567, the Council of Tours, Tours is a city in the west of France that by, um, by the 500s AD had become a center for European Christianity. And so the Council of Tours proclaimed the 12 days from Christmas to Epiphany as a sacred and festive season. And they established the duty of Advent fasting in preparation for the Epiphany, the, the Feast of Epiphany. So I trust that you have been fasting for the past 12 days. <laughs> Me either. So tomorrow is Epiphany, and Epiphany is that day that the church has traditionally celebrated the visit of the Magi to the Christ child. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my true love gave to me twelve lords a-leaping, eleven ladies dancing, ten pipers piping, nine drummers drumming, eight maids a-milking, seven swans a-swimming, six geese a-laying, five golden rings, or in our house, onion rings, four calling birds, three French hens, two turtle doves, and a partridge in a pear tree. That's just simply a children's nursery rhyme. Don't try and find spiritual meaning in those things. But today is the twelfth day of Christmas. Epiphany, however, um, has historically been a, a major Christian feast day or holiday, especially among sort of high church or liturgical church traditions. Because Epiphany is that day when Christians remember that the Magi, the wise men, quoted scripture to Herod when they proclaimed, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then later, when they arrived at, his, at the house, they, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. We also remember how Herod reacted to what he believed was a threat to his kingdom. It's Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 to 18, which says this, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that had been ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So this is the 12th day of Christmas. A day when we remember weeping and loud lamentation. But this is also a day that we should remember that our sorrow will soon be turned to joy because from Bethlehem shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And in John chapter 14, the 11 remaining disciples are convinced that they have also found this ruler, this shepherd for the people of Israel. And they are eagerly awaiting for him to ascend to his throne, to ascend to the throne of David. But he had just informed the twelve that one of them would betray him, and in fact Judas has left. 
He's informed them that Simon Peter specifically would deny him three times before the rooster would crow tomorrow morning. So the 11 remaining disciples now, as Judas is gone, the 11 are, are agitated. They are upset. And so Jesus begins his next teaching here by offering them this assurance. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So in fact, let me read that first paragraph there in John chapter 14. Then we're going to stop one more time and pray to ask God to guide us in uh, understanding this. So I'm going to read John 14 verses 1 through 7 and we will pick it up in uh, kind of in verse 2. John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's stop and pray. Father, as we consider these words, as we consider the statement, this I am statement of Christ, I pray that you would give us ears to hear today. Help us to understand that we may behold wonderful things about your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus' exhortation here, uh, kind of in, in verse 1, I guess, his exhortation to believe in God and believe also in him, this was a, a hope-filled encouragement that he was actually going to prepare a place for them. Well, in order for us to understand what it means that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that famous statement from verse 6, we need to understand what it means that he was going to prepare a place for them. Now, a couple of things that we believe about Jesus. We believe that Jesus Christ was active in creation. We believe that he had an active role in the creation of all things. John, the author of our gospel here, even tells us right at the very beginning of his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus was active in creation. Another little fact that we know uh, from the Scripture is that Jesus is his earthly father, Joseph, He's called a carpenter in Matthew chapter 13. So some have taken those two bits of information and have come to the conclusion that Jesus has gone to prepare heaven for us by adding on or something. That he's gone to remodel heaven, maybe build heavenly houses for us, since he evidently is trained as a carpenter. I've heard preachers say before that it took him six days to create the universe and he's been preparing heaven for 2,000 years. Is that what he's talking about here? If the Father's house has many rooms, as it says, if the Father's house has many rooms or many dwelling places, why is there a need for preparation? 
If at creation, all things were, as God says, very good. If at creation, all things were very good, does Jesus need to go spruce the place up for us? The key to understanding this is the word going. So know this. This is the point I want you to see. The going is the preparation. The going is the preparation. So think of it this way. The term going or to go has come to be associated with the gospel. So, of course, we think of the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And that's a good connection for us to make. But Jesus also connected going with his crucifixion and resurrection. In fact, in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, we read this, For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. You understand that the past tense of the word go is went, right? Go, went. Well, going is the key to his ministry. And so listen to this summary of his ministry, summary of his work from Matthew chapter 9. This is Matthew 9, 35 to 38. It says this, And Jesus went, or did go, throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest that they would go. And so you can see that, that he did go and, and preach the good news. And, 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 and he is passing on the, the going to his disciples to continue his work, his labor. Jesus continued to tell his disciples that he was going to the cross. He was going to the grave. He's going to resurrect. He's going to pass through the heavens where he would sit at the Father's right hand and he would commission his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The passion of Christ, his suffering on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension is the preparation. It is his provision for us of a permanent dwelling place with God. And so when when he says it is finished, he means that heaven is fully prepared for you. It is the going itself that prepares the place for his disciples. And if Jesus goes through all of this trouble, all of this preparation for them, then it must certainly be true that they really will follow him eventually. So pick it up here in verse 3. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Now sometimes we get hung up on the return of Christ, right? We get hung up on the details of the return of Christ. And he mentions his return here, but the emphasis here is not on the return itself. It's actually on the comfort that comes from being reunited with the Lord. Remember, he's saying, let not your heart be troubled. I will come again that where I am, you may be also. 
Paul offers this same kind of comfort in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 to 18, when he writes this. He says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and the voice of an, uh, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet in God. He's coming back for us, Paul is saying. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's the point of this. He says this, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, this is maybe a little bit of a side note. But I... I hope that you understand that the point of heaven is to be with the Savior. The point of heaven is not simply an absence of pain or or to be in a better place. Sometimes we forget these things. The point of heaven is not to be reunited with loved ones who have died. The point of heaven is Jesus, that where he is, we may be also. Back to this passage here. Um, Understanding all of this is key to understanding his famous statement in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So let's get a little bit more specific. Jesus prepared heaven for us by removing our obstacle of sin. Jesus went to prepare heaven by shedding his blood on the cross, really for our purification. You may remember that the Old Testament priests would sprinkle the altar in the temple with sacrificial blood. Likewise, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 12 tells us that that he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves as the priests would, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. The point is, there's an old English preacher named Charles Simeon. And he said this, he said, heaven would have been defiled by the admission of sinners into it. He therefore entered into heaven to sanctify it with his blood, to prepare the way for us. And so that Jesus is sure to make this point even more clear, he he says to the eleven, he says to them in verse 4, and you know the way to where I am going. You know the way to where I'm going. Well, this statement prompts Thomas to speak up. Thomas. Thomas, a disciple who is loyal and even courageous, if at times a little bit apprehensive and somewhat doubtful. Thomas interprets Jesus' statement there in verse 4. You know the way to where I'm going. He interprets that statement naturally, in in a natural way. He and Probably the rest of them had set their minds on earthly things and not on the things above, and and Thomas wants specifics. Remember, it was Thomas who had said, back in chapter 11, he had said, let us go also, that we may die with him. When they were returning to Judea, to Lazarus' funeral, really, in order to mourn and weep, to the place where Jesus was a wanted man, where they had been trying to kill him. Thomas shows courage and says, let's go also that we may die with him. And here they are, 
back in Judea, in Jerusalem even. And Jesus is saying now that he's going to leave them behind and they can join him later. In their minds, throughout this, Jesus has been ambiguous. He's going to his father's house. Okay. Thomas wants a straightforward explanation here. Where exactly are you going now? And if we don't understand where you're going, how can we know the way? How are we going to be able to join you later? Look at what Jesus had said to him. Verse 4, this is important. He says, you know the way to where I am going. Was Jesus wrong? Was Jesus wrong in making that statement? You know the way to where I am going. Was Jesus mistaken? We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, Jesus is about to clarify this for them. But let me just point out right here. Jesus says to them, you know the way. In verse 6, he's going to say, I am the way. You know the way. They don't understand what he is talking about, but they know him. They know Jesus. He's assuring them of this. But we always underestimate the significance of knowing Jesus Christ, don't we? We don't, we don't grasp sometimes, even if we know him, even if we trust him as Savior, we don't fully grasp the significance of knowing Christ. In fact, it's part of our sanctification. It's part of our um, spiritual life to get to know him more and more each day. There are great benefits to knowing Christ. And so it behooves us to know Him. It behooves us. It, it is imperative that we know Christ. I want you to just listen here. Don't try and write these down. I want to list out some of the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ. Don't try and write these down because you'll never be able to keep up. I, I go fast anyway, I know that. But you're never going to be able to keep up with this. There are 75. Ready? If you know Jesus Christ, you have fellowship with God's Son, Jesus our Lord. If you know Jesus Christ, you have access to the Father through Jesus. You can have access to God with confidence. You have access to God's grace. You have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ, you will be saved from the coming wrath of God through Jesus. You have overflowing hope. You know the truth. You are raised to, to sit together with Christ in the heavenly realms. If you know Jesus Christ, you know that the Holy Spirit prays for you when you don't know what to pray. You have the privilege of walking in the light. If you know Jesus Christ, Christ dwells in you. You can store up treasures in heaven. You're adopted by God to be the child of God. You're taught by God to love others. If you know Jesus Christ, Jesus reveals the Father to you so you can know Him too. You have exceedingly great and precious promises of God. If you know Jesus Christ, the Father and the Son make their home in you. The Father strengthens you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. If you know Jesus Christ, the Father gives you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in order to know Him better. If you know Jesus Christ, He has opened the eyes of your understanding. If you know Jesus Christ, you have overcome the world. 
That you have the full assurance of understanding. God makes you stand firm in Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ, you have abundant life. If you know Jesus Christ, you will bear fruit for God. If you know Jesus Christ, you're an heir of God. You're a co-heir with Jesus. You have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Number 30. If you know Jesus Christ, you're united to Jesus. Your name is written in heaven. If you know Jesus Christ, you partake of the divine nature. If you know Jesus Christ, you are shielded by God's power through faith. If you know Jesus Christ, God is able to keep you from stumbling. The peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Your guilty conscience will be cleansed. You'll be useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. If you know Jesus Christ, you'll receive abundant grace. You can have understand, you can understand the depth of Jesus' love. If you know Jesus Christ, he helps you in your weakness. You'll be filled with all the fullness of God. You'll have the mind of Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, he gives you faith. God gives you his righteousness due to faith, not your own works. If you know Jesus Christ, you can be built up and given an inheritance by God's grace. You receive powerful spiritual weaponry. You receive the whole armor of God. You're blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You receive his divine power to live a godly life. If you know Jesus Christ, the spirit of God gives you power, love, and self-control. You receive everlasting encouragement and good hope. If you know Jesus Christ, God's Spirit lives in you. If you know Jesus Christ, Jesus gives you understanding so you can know God. You receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. God hears you. God helps you. You can understand the things God has freely given you. God has prepared for you a new body in heaven. God has given you life for the ages, and this life is in His Son. You'll, you'll, you have received the light. You'll experience the heavenly gifts. you'll, You'll share in the Holy Spirit. You're enlightened, truly enlightened. You'll experience the goodness of the Word of God. You'll experience the powers of the coming age. You're delivered from the power of darkness. You're brought into Jesus' kingdom. If you know Jesus Christ, all things become possible when you believe in Him. You're served by angels. In all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. The Lord is your helper. God is for you. You have a better kind of hope through Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. You have peace with with God through Jesus Christ. Yeah. And I want to tell you, that's not an all-inclusive list. See, like us, Thomas misunderestimated what it meant that he knew the way. And in Jesus' response to his question, Jesus affirms the exclusivity of Christianity. He points out the way of reconciliation. He reveals the truth and he provides regeneration. In other words, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So let's begin at the end of that. Jesus here affirms his own exclusivity. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christianity is an exclusive religion. Um, It's okay to call it a religion, by the way. Christianity is an exclusive religion. One author, um, he wrote this, he said, Christianity is a contentious faith which requires an all-or-nothing commitment to Jesus as the one and only incarnation of the Son of God. 
It's disingenuous at best to say that Christianity is one of several equally valid religions. This cannot possibly be true. Either Jesus is right or he is wrong in his statement here in verse 6 when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Either he's right or he's wrong. Um, There can be no such thing as personal truth. You know, that's true for you. If it works for you, if it's right for you, that's, that's something that Oprah made up in her kind of delusional pantheism. But Jesus does not leave this open as a possibility for us. He doesn't leave that open for us. No one comes to the Father except through me, he says. There's no other way. In fact, he says, I am the way, not a way, the way, the truth, and the life. I am, he says. And each time Jesus uses that phrase, I am, he's using a name for God. And he uses it specifically, and he uses it exclusively. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Each of these statements, Jesus tells us that only Jesus can save us from our sins. Only Jesus can bring us to God and grant to us eternal life. All throughout this this upper room discourse here in these chapters, um, chapter 13 through 17, all all throughout this conversation or teaching of Christ here, His focus is on his own person and on his own work, on the person and work of Jesus. And in in making it, it's kind of a three-part statement. It's not. It's really brought together. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But kind of a three-part statement. In, In making this statement, Jesus is once again connecting himself to the Father in an intimate and exclusive way. So in using this term, I am, which is God's Old Testament name for himself, Yahweh, Jesus is proclaiming, I and the Father are one. He even says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We need to remember that the world, at best, will ignore this claim. At best, the world will ignore the exclusive claims of Jesus. They will ignore his statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. At worst, the world will hate it and hate you for believing it. But Jesus has come as the answer to our sinful predicament. He's the way for sinners to be reconciled to God. He's the truth that God has revealed to correct our ignorance, our our foolish, darkened hearts. And he is the life that we need to regenerate us from the power of death. And so he says, I am the way. Now, remember when Thomas asked this question, and all along here, the disciples are thinking in earthly terms over and over and over again. They're thinking of the restoration of David's kingdom in the immediate, right then, in the coming days. And so in this way, they're, they're actually similar to King Herod, except that they embrace Jesus instead of hating him. Herod so hated Jesus 
that he put to death as many as he could find, hoping to just one of them would be Jesus. But the disciples embrace him. But like Herod, or kind of maybe just the opposite of Herod, while they are thinking in earthly ways, they're thinking of expelling the Romans and reestablishing Israel to her former glory. They're thinking in earthly terms and of making Jesus Israel's glorious king. Herod um, was similar. He was thinking in earthly terms, although he loved and profited from Rome. And these disciples, they followed him to Jerusalem. They've heard the cries of the crowd just four days earlier. I know it was a couple chapters ago and many months ago when we were there, but Palm Sunday was just four days before this. It was just the previous Sunday when they heard the crowds proclaim, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And so when Thomas asked him this question, you can sense a little bit of frustration. Lord, we're so close. The people love you. And now you're talking about going away? You're talking about leaving us here? But Jesus is clear. He says, I am the way. And the destination isn't Jerusalem. The destination is the Father. The destination is a bigger kingdom than what they had in mind. If we're to understand what Jesus is saying then like Thomas, we need to understand the destination. And yet we also need to understand where we are. We need to understand the beginning of the destination, right? The beginning of the journey. We can't find our own way to God. According to Scripture, mankind is completely lost and ruined. We stand condemned because of our sin. We've fallen short of the glory of God. And as a result, we are barred from His presence. We are barred from His blessing. We need to be reconciled to Him. We can't simply, we can't simply turn over a, a new leaf in the new year and start living right. Today is the 5th of January, which means all of our uh, resolutions are gone now, right? We can't do it anyway. We can't just start living right. We can't just start following God's law. We still have sin that needs to be atoned for. But not only are we condemned by sin, we're completely corrupted by sin as well. Our wills, the things we want to do, our wills are enslaved to sin. We're alienated from God. We stand against Him as enemies. But the good news is that God provides the way. God Himself provides the way for reconciliation. Jesus, God's only begotten Son, was sent to atone for our sin through His death. His way of salvation requires us to to confess our sin, to humble ourselves as we seek His pardon and to submit to His authority, to repent, to turn, and to turn to Christ. Our flesh hates this message. Mankind hates the idea of needing salvation. We want to save ourselves if we need to be saved from something. We want to seek our own way. But the good news is that it's Jesus and only Jesus who is able to reconcile us to God. 
Romans chapter 3, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This makes passages, that truth, Romans chapter 3, that truth makes passages like like Psalm 24 verses 3 to 5, it makes so much more sense. See, the answer is Jesus. Let me give you the question. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It is only through the way that we can ascend the hill of the Lord. Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the way of reconciliation. And he's also the truth. He's the truth that God has used to reveal himself to us. To correct our ignorance. Man needs truth. Right? Actually, we could say it this way. Man needs true truth. Because it was through ignorance and lies that we first fell into sin to begin with. Or maybe we could say led to sin. Remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 1? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Satan's lie in that question is to suggest that God had what, what God had called very good is not very good. That God is holding out on us. And, and that the way for man to experience freedom and goodness and blessing comes through breaking God's laws. Breaking God's commands. That's the lie and the allure of sin. There's something better out there. You better go find it. That's the lie and the allure of sin. Go find whatever's good for you. We're ignorant of God and we're blind to His truth. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 18 says that, that they are darkened in their understanding alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In order for us to be saved, to be reconciled to God, the truth must be revealed to us. And the fullest expression of God's truth is Jesus Christ himself. He is the truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John tells us that in John 1.18. Jesus has made God known. He says to the disciples here, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus, we we could almost say Jesus narrates God. He says and does exclusively what the Father gives him to say and do. And he he is one with the Father as his only begotten Son. Jesus is the way to God, not only by what he did for lost mankind, by dying on the cross, but also in revealing the truth of God so that we might believe and come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is why we must be students of Jesus. We must must devote our lives to the study of Christ, to the study of his word. That's what he means when he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is the way of reconciliation. 
He is the truth of God's revelation. And then finally, he is our regeneration. He is, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. We are dead apart from Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Apart from Christ, we are unable to do anything spiritually for our own salvation. We are with hope, without hope and without Christ. But, but Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly because in him is life and the life is the light of men and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the source of eternal life for all who repent and believe in him. That's what he's talking about when he was saying to Nicodemus that we must be born again. In order for us to, to be saved, we must not, um, not only believe that Jesus is the truth and that Jesus is the way, but we must also be regenerated. We must, we must be made alive. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but is passed from death to life. Let not your hearts be troubled because you know the way. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And he has gone to prepare a place for you that where he is, we may be also. And he has promised to come and bring us to himself that we will dwell with him as his people and he will dwell with us as our God. This is the promise of Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray. Father, this little statement of Jesus, we cannot plumb the depths We could spend a lifetime exploring what it means that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Lord, I pray that we, even today as we leave here, as we ponder these things, as we hide them in our hearts, that it would cause us to just be in awe. In awe that he has said, And you know the way. Father, that we know Christ. Help us to know him. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.